Welcome to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Anne Louise Gittleman is a New York Times bestselling author of over 37 books on diet, detox, the environment, and women's health. For more than four decades, Anne Louise has been regarded as a leading voice and visionary in nutrition and who has fearlessly stood on the front lines of holistic and integrative medicine. For more information, check out annlouise.com. That's A-N-N-L-O-U-I-S-E.com. And here's your host, Anne Louise Gittleman. Hey, everyone. Anne Louise Gittleman here for First Lady of Nutrition. And today I have a very interesting guest who puts a magnifying glass on a vitamin deficiency most of us are not aware of. We're going to be talking about thiamine deficiency. Now, I have written many, many books, as all of you know, something like 36 and counting, and I've never run across the kind of information that this gal is going to be presenting to us today. So fasten your seatbelts. It's time for thiamine. Hi, Dr. Mars. I am told you are a thiamine deficiency disease expert and a master of the mitochondria. So tell me about your background and what we need to know about vitamin B1. Well, uh, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> my um, pleasure. My pleasure. So uh, there's a lot of things you need to know about both. Um, the mitochondria basically are our cells' power plants. They make the energy, the ATP, that our cells use to do all the things that they need to do to keep us alive. And so when the mitochondria are, are damaged or distressed or you know fatigued or in any way not functioning as well as they should, we get things like a metabolic lack of energy. Uh, it's a real absolute lack of energy because our mitochondria cannot produce the energy that the cells need to do their thing. So uh, my work, uh, thanks to the brilliant Dr. Lonsdale, who was my mentor. Uh, God bless him. Is he still living, Dr. Mars? He is 98 and turns 99 in April. So bless yes. His heart. Bless his heart. Yes, he's a wonderful man, and I am very grateful that we just happened to meet. Um, and he happened to take a liking to me and allow me to dig into this work with him. So back to our story, the mitochondria make energy. And if you don't have energy, you really don't have anything. Um, and so what most of us were told in school about the mitochondria is that so long as we eat sufficient calories, so long as there's not frank malnutrition, the mitochondria are going to do their thing and produce ATP. And that's true to some extent because they are remarkable little organelles. They will keep us alive despite everything we throw at them for as long as they possibly can. Uh, but what we didn't learn and what Dr. Lonsdale has been so gracious in teaching me and others uh, have continued on this tradition as well, is that the mitochondria need more than basically macronutrients. They need micronutrients, vitamins and minerals to power all the enzyme machinery inside this little factory and turn what we eat into ATP. And so if the food we eat does not have enough of the vitamins and minerals that we need, then you're effectively starving because you cannot process any of that food into energy. And so 
what I've been doing, thanks to Dr. Lonsdale, has been studying the, the nutrients that one needs to make energy and conversely studying all the ways that we damage our mitochondria uh, through modern living and uh, require more energy and uh, reduce our micronutrient intake. Hmm. So where does B1 fit into all this, Dr. Mars? Well, what, what, is this modern day beriberi, I wonder? It is absolutely modern day beriberi. Um, and so thymine or vitamin B1 is the first uh, vitamin in the chain of reactions that has to happen to convert uh, glucose into ATP. And it happens in different parts in the machinery, but it happens in a particular enzyme that is the gatekeeper to the mitochondria called the pyruvate dehydrogenase enzyme. Mm. And if you don't have thymine, that enzyme doesn't work. And if you don't have thymine and that enzyme doesn't work, it doesn't matter what you do. Things are not getting into that mitochondria to produce ATP. So that's one component of why a, a, a vitamin B1 is so important. It blocks glucose metabolism uh, into ATP. It's also uh, located in enzymes, a cofactor, a required cofactor in an enzyme inside the mitochondria. Um, and it is also a required cofactor in enzymes outside the mitochondria that feed to it, one for proteins, one for fatty acids, and then one uh, that is part of the, the glycolysis pathway. That's the anaerobic uh, pathway that prepares all the stuff to get into the mitochondria. And so it can't be prepared very well. And so far it goes into salvage pathways and such. So everything we need to do to make energy becomes derailed when you don't have enough thymine. So why don't we have enough thymine? Let's just get down to it. Oh, hundreds of reasons. Good. Uh, modern go. living, <laughs> you, know, um, <laughs> you know, diet is, is a big one. So uh, modern food is generally very processed. Uh, a good percentage, something like 50, 60% of the calories we eat is ultra processed foods. Ultra processed foods uh, carry with them not only a bunch of additives that damage the mitochondria, uh, but they don't provide sufficient nutrition relative to the damage they cause and the caloric content that they carry. So there's an imbalance uh, between nutrient content and, and the calories in the foods we eat. Um, in particular, um, a lot of the foods uh, are carry uh, seed oils, seed oils uh, like soy oil, soybean oils and such, which is canola oil, all of those seed oils. Those seed oils, in fact, activate an enzyme that deactivates the pyruvate dehydrogenase complex. So the more you eat of uh, foods that have seed oils in them, the more thymine you actually need to keep that top enzyme going. Otherwise, everything just shuts down. So that's one reason. We tend to eat foods that are high in sugar. Well, the main metabolic pathway with thymine, that door, that pyruvate enzyme, um, has to be working to process sugar. So if we eat a ton of sugar and we don't have sufficient thymine to counterbalance it, then all of those, those sugar molecules are gonna be popped off into salvage pathways that do damage and not be converted into energy. 
Um, another reason, uh, environmental pollutants damage the mitochondria. Almost all of them without question, household pollutants. Um, and pharmaceuticals, Ph pharmaceuticals by far and large are the, the, the most egregious um, uh, damagers, uh, uh, threats to mitochondrial capacity and fitness. Not only do they, they block a variety of nutrients, including thymine, but they block pathways within the mitochondria that damage them. Um, in fact, that's by design because that's how they damage the bacteria. The bacteria and the, the mitochondria are very symbiotic and similar. And so when you damage the bacteria, um, you are often damaging the mitochondria. So years ago, when I was at Columbia, we learned that B1 was connected to some kinds of heart disease and learning disabilities and functional disturbances, including emotional disturbances. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, certainly, um, you know, B1 heart disease, let's talk about heart disease in general. The majority, excuse me, the majority of heart disease right now is, is uh, put together by diet, is cardiometabolic, it is uh, metabolic syndrome which is inevitably um, poor processing of dietary components into energy. And so again, we come back to that, that pyruvate enzyme as well as the other enzymes, but the pyruvate is the gatekeeper, if you will. Um, if that is damaged and that that does not have sufficient thymine, uh, 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 then you cannot produce the energy in the heart cells to make them pump appropriately to contract and to relax, to be rhythmically appropriate, to do all of the things the heart needs to do. Importantly though, also the brain, which is an incredibly energy intensive organ, um, controls a lot of the, the heart uh, patterns from the autonomic system. And so if the brain doesn't have enough oxygen, uh, well, not oxygen as well, but enough uh, thymine and energy, then your autonomic, your automatic patterns start to become disabled or disorganized. And that's why we get things like dysautonomic function, uh, impaired autonomic function. You get too much too soon, too late, too little, too late. All of those patterns that we see with folks who cannot adapt to the environment smoothly because their autonomic system is in disarray. So you have damage, which you can get from both the brain uh, down to the heart and the heart more globally, but also then you go the mitochondria up because the heart requires so much energy. Um, I think it's like six, uh, I can't even remember right now. It's a huge amount of ATP mm. per day uh, to keep the heart functioning. So to keep the brain functioning, you've opened up a Pandora's box here. To keep the brain functioning, is B1 important for any kind of neural disorders and neurology? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Speak, speak to that a little bit to my listeners. Well, so uh, I, I just let's start with Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is now being called type 3 diabetes because of brain hypometabolism. Um, it's clearly involved um, dietary components are clearly involved in the development of Alzheimer's, but the cell and mitochondria dysregulation are at the root. And so there've been a number of studies that have found that, that uh, thymine improves uh, Alzheimer's 
patients, uh, variables involved with Alzheimer's uh, uh, disease in terms of memory uh, capacity to cognitive capacity and a variety of other things. Uh, Parkinson's, um, uh, the late Antonio Costantini uh, from Italy, Italy. Italy. Italy and his group, <laughs> um, yeah, they've they've treated uh, thousands of, of Parkinson's patients with high dose thiamine and, and found that over the period of months, a lot of the symptoms will abate significantly. And they have hypothesized that there's a cerebral uh, thiamine deficiency, not necessarily a systemic thiamine deficiency, although given the way tests are done these days and on uh, nutrients, I suspect there is systemic, but the cerebral impairment of thymine uh, is prominent in Parkinson's. And so they use a high dose thymine and over the period of months, a number of the symptoms abate in, in the patients and the results have been remarkable. Uh, Huntington's disease, also a movement disease of the basal ganglia. Uh, research has just found in the last year or two that uh, there's an enzyme defect in the uh, pathway that activates free thymine into the active thymine, which is called thymine pyrophosphate. And that enzyme defect uh, is, is what is ca causing a lot of the movement uh, disorder, the chorea. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, supplementing, they theorize, they haven't done this yet, they theorize that if they supplement with high-dose thymine, they may be, over to be able to overcome that defect and improve the capacity of, of Huntington's patients quite significantly. That's extraordinary. What about MS? Uh, I, MS is one of those that I think at its root is probably in a large number of people related to thymine and other deficiencies, um, uh, thyroid problems too. Uh, so myelination is an energy intensive uh, process. And again, if you don't have energy, you're not going to be able to myelinate appropriately. Um, and so when you look at all of these, 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 each of these disease processes have different uh, symptoms and different clusters of behaviors associated with them. Uh, MS is the myelination, whereas you get uh, Alzheimer's, you've got the, the protein bodies and you see these different patterns. Uh, but they all come back to thymine because it comes back to your capacity to produce energy. And so there's a genetic component, what you're at risk for. And then there's that thymine component um, that allows you the, the perhaps the epigenetic component, if you will, to either devolve into that disease process seriously or overcome it or manage it to some extent. And I, I think thymine in that regard is, is an epigenetic modulator. Hi, my friends. Before I go any further, let me take a moment to, to acknowledge my sponsor, Unikey Health at UnikeyHealth.com, which is your universal key to health since 1992. I have been a spokesperson for this company for over 30 years. They're the home of all my weight loss plans, the Fat Blasting Bio Builder, which has been featured in national magazines. They also carry the ultimate brain support and the magnesium multitasker. So whether it's weight loss, internal cleansing, or just targeted health support, go to unikeyhealth.com. Tell them Anne Louise sent you. See, I think this is fascinating 
because we're not getting enough thiamine. So taking a regular B complex vitamin isn't going to do it for people with, with real extraordinary needs. Oh, certainly not. No. And, and that's, that's one of the myths. And, and I will get folks that will come up to me all the time and they will say something to the effect, well, I took a B complex and nothing happened. <laughs> um, and you know, it, you have to put it in perspective, the degree of disease process and the chronicity of the disease process relative to the dose of the, the thymine and the time frame. So if you've been ill and have a disease process that has progressed over a period of years, a couple of weeks of a B complex is not going to do it. You have to do a much higher dose and it has to be for an extended period of time. It's not like a drug that you take and you feel better, you know, almost instantly, or you feel different at least almost instantly when you're rewiring systems, it takes time. They're all time dependent. Um, and your body just has to have the time and the support and be allowed to do that. So there are many different kinds of B1 on the market. I'd like you to speak to that a little bit. What should we be looking for? What's best absorbed? Well, it, there's, it's more complex than just absorbability. So it comes down to what is best for the individual patient. Um, and that's a complicated question. Uh, but if we're talking strictly about absorbability, the most highly absorbed forms are going to be the thymines that come, thymine tetrahydrofurfuryl, TTFD versions, because they have a mechanism that allows the thymine to cross the fatty, the lipid barrier of the cell without a transporter, or the benfotymines. Different mechanism, but basically the same thing. It allows the thymine to get into the cell. Um, the thymine hydrochloride, the most commonly used, is much less absorbable, requires a transporter in some cases, or passive absorption through the intestine, um, which if someone has intestinal issues, which half the population does at this point, it may be difficult to get that thymine in sufficient quantities into the bloodstream. However, having said all of that, if you get the more potent thymine, that may be too potent for some folks who have been chronically ill um, and have a variety of, of, of allergenic issues and responses and or um, have just have mass nutrient deficiency and they're coming from a, a state where they have to pretty much start over. And so those folks often have to start with something like a thymine hydrochloride and start at very, very minute doses. Because when you start turning systems back on, it becomes very uncomfortable for some people. Because think of it, a lot of these systems have been turned off for a period of time and the body has created these adaptive pathways to keep you alive. Well, now you give it the fuel it needs to start turning on and everything has to unwind and rewind again. And that's never, ever a smooth process. And so that period of time when your body is readapting can be very uncomfortable. And so to mitigate that, a lot of folks have to start with a very, very low dose and just titrate up exceedingly slowly. Others, on the other hand, could go into a high dose very quickly and feel wonderful immediately. But it's, it's individual based on your circumstances. So what I find so interesting, and I read a little bit about the work that was done in Italy, 
the basic thiamine that was used, I think I, I think the Italian neurologist used thiamine IVs. Am I correct? Uh, he used IM intramuscular. So he used uh, he used both actually, and and that would be ideal. Would be IV would be my first choice, intramuscular second choice, and then the potency, you know, third choice. Having said that, though, most people don't have access right. to IV or IM. So they are left to do this on their own, unfortunately. And that can be very scary if you have what they colloquially, colloquially, I can't even say that, but they term a paradoxical reaction, meaning you get worse before you get better. Because can you imagine feeling absolutely rotten and feeling like you're really on death's door and you taking a supplement worse. that makes you feel worse? Oh no. You know, it just sounds like, well, I can't do this. But if you're severely deficient, you have to do this because there's no getting around that deficiency. Uh, you have to get through it. But navigating it can be, you know, very, very difficult. So what is the range of dosage? <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> it's huge. Um, so back up a little bit. The RDA for thymine is only 1.3 and 1.2 and 1.3 milligrams, 1.4 per pregnant women male, female pregnancy uh, per day. And so average dosages, if they've gotten past the microdosage phase, can be anywhere from hundreds of milligrams of, of HCL uh, to thousands, to grams. Um, but it can also go similarly high in with the two lipid soluble ones. It depends on the person and the chronicity and the symptoms. Um, a lot of folks, if they can tolerate the, the TTFD or the BEMFO versions, can kind of find themselves around 300 milligrams and do quite well. Uh, but others need to go much higher. So is there a test somebody could take? Is there a nutrient test to show how much you actually need and if, in fact, you're deficient? Well, there's a number of lab tests that you can take that, that are purported to, to tell you if you're deficient. But the problem is most of them are sensitive to your environment, meaning if you've already supplementing, you're going to show that you're sufficient, uh, when in fact you may need a heck of a lot more. If you're one of those patients who has uh, cerebral deficits in thiamine, it's not going to detail any of that because it's just going to tell you what your blood volume is. And there's a very high false negative rate with a lot of the tests, meaning a lot of folks will uh, show that they have perfectly good numbers in terms of their thiamine but in fact are, are quite deficient somehow. They need more, they're functionally deficient. And so they respond very well to the thiamine supplementation, despite the fact showing that they, they have sufficient blood levels. You know, I haven't seen the TTFD on the market. Who puts that out? There's a, there's a couple companies that do it. Uh, one's called Ecological Formulas, slash cardiovascular research they put oh, on excellent a, yeah they put two brands out uh allothymine and lipothymine elliot overton's company uh eo nutrition or nu objective nutrients i don't know which one he goes by but elliot overton has a whole line of ttfd and a variety of other supplements his are the cleanest on the market meaning they have the fewest additives a lot of the companies put uh, a variety of additives in the vitamins, which can be reactive in some people, 
cause a reaction. So you want to get the cleanest supplements you can. Um, and then Benfo timing is, is sold by a number of different companies. It's just yes. widely available. Yeah, and we, so is thiamine hydrochloride. That's a good one. We have that in the brain formula. It's the TTFD I'd never seen. So I'm, yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Do you think children are thiamine deficient? Oh, yes. Yes. There's a, a pediatrician that I work with. Well, Dr. Lonsdale was a pediatrician. All of his work came from pediatrics. Um, but there's another pediatrician that I work with, uh, Erica Pearson, who works with special needs kids, and she uses thiamine regularly with remarkable results uh, to improve the health and well-being of, of a variety of special needs kids. I remember years ago reading that they used a high thiamine with um, lead poisoning. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, yeah. Well, there is in mercury um, and arsenic as well because it chelates, uh, and so uh, it, it's well, mercury in particular and arsenic. I don't know if lead does this too. Um, actually, blocks the pyruvate dehydrogenase enzyme. And so <laughs> that's why it, it's successful there. But in general, thymine chelate uh, a variety of metals. What about people that drink a lot of alcohol? Oh, certainly they're going to be thymine deficient. And, and I think that's that's the thing that we, we don't realize. So we were taught that, that thymine deficiency occurs in chronic alcoholics. And I think the picture we have are alcoholics that are, are severely alcoholic and on the street and so on and so forth. I mean, severe, severe alcoholism. But in reality, alcohol, the ethanol and alcohol blocks thymine uptake no matter how much you take. So if you're someone who has a glass of wine with dinner and you do it every night, then you're blocking the thymine from that meal and potentially from uh, you know the meals that are around it. Um, and so it's, it's the regularity and the chronicity. It doesn't matter the dose. Certainly if you drink to, to blacking out on a regular basis, that's going to come up quickly. But if you just have a glass of wine or two socially on a regular basis, you're having a problem with thiamine. You have a thiamine problem as well. And it will accrue over time. And think of all the other environmental factors that go along with it. If your diet is poor, if you're under an immense amount of stress, if you're taking a medication or two, you know, it all kind of uh, comes together to create this deficiency. Why did thiamine used to be referred to as the happy vitamin? Oh, I don't know. Uh, perhaps because it provides energy. I had not heard that. <laughs> I have no idea where I picked that up from. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the happy vitamin. But you're the co-author of a wonderful book. Can you talk a little bit about that? Of the book? Yeah. So uh, Dr. Lonsdale, again, uh, my mentor and I wrote a book called Thymine Deficiency, Disease, Dysautonomia, and High Calorie Malnutrition. It's a very, very scary title um, because it's an academic book and that's the kind of titles they like. But it's not a scary book when you get into it. Um, I spent a lot of time trying to make it as uh, readable as possible uh, for the educated layperson. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It is a difficult book, but it reads really well. We have a lot of case studies in it so that you can see the, the progression of the deficiency and the healing and the diversity of disease processes that, that thymine deficiency can propagate. Um, and I, I think that's part of the, the key element of the book is to see how many different symptoms 
one little vitamin can create. And mm. it can do that is because it is involved with the production of energy. And if you don't have energy, wherever your weak points are in your genetic makeup and in your diet and everything else, uh, that's where you're going to show disease. And so um, I think that that book is very, very useful for individuals, even if they're not necessarily interested in thymine deficiency or dysautonomia, but for framing how we understand the concept of health and disease more broadly. Are diseases discrete entities? Well, if you look at mitochondrial disease processes and thymine deficiency, the answer is absolutely not. They're not discrete processes. They, they um, overlap in so many weird and different ways that our, our taxonomy of diseases, I think, at some point has to be reorganized. So you run several Facebook groups. Do they all deal with thiamine deficiency? Not all, no. So I have a, a Facebook group called Understanding Mitochondrial Nutrients, and that one does deal with thiamine deficiency, but also other issues, other nutrients and other issues regarding the mitochondria. So it's more broadly about mitochondria. Um, my website is called Hormones Matter, and it's called Hormones Matter because I originally was into endocrinology and women's health. And when I started it, um, I was a little adamant, and my thought of that was Hormones Matter, damn it, people pay attention to this. <laughs> Um, and, um, so I still do a lot of women's health, but I, as I have grown over the years, I have realized that the mitochondria are responsible for the hormones. Um, and so if we heal the mitochondria, oftentimes our hormone problems will, um, dissipate or at least minimize. And so that's publicly well available. Um, there's a Facebook group of the same name, uh, that posts things regularly. And then, my personal uh, uh, passions have included powerlifting and strength sports for older women. So I run a Facebook group and a website of the same name called Old Ladies Lift. I'm glad and you clarified that. I had no idea what you're referring to with that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm so uh, glad this is very exciting. Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, so we have we have older women. You know, we have about I think we're up to about fourteen or fifteen thousand now. And I started wow. like thirty, thinking there would be none of us, you know, in there. And they're all over forty. Most are in their fifties, sixties, and seventies, lifting heavy weight. And so it, it's quite remarkable uh, to me as a woman and as an older woman to see what is possible as I continue to get older and stronger, we're hoping to kind of disabuse the world of the notion that uh, older women can't gain strength because it's absolutely not true. <laughs> so. Are you consulting? I know you're a researcher. Do you consult with individuals? I don't consult uh, with individuals. I will consult with other physicians or organizations. Um, I am not a physician, so I can't do, technically I can't do clinical consulting, although I suppose people do. I don't feel comfortable doing it, but I, I will consult with, with other uh, clinicians uh, and as I said, organizations. Tell us again the name of your website, Dr. Mars. The website is hormonesmatter.com. Uh, the lifting one is oldladieslift.com. The Facebook group is there's a horm 
Moans Matter Facebook and Old Ladies Lift, but the mitochondrial one is Understanding Mitochondrial Nutrients. And it is a private Facebook group, so you have to find it and answer a couple questions or questions to be admitted. And uh, we, we uh, police that group pretty stringently. Uh, so we don't allow spammers and trolls and we don't allow people to solicit clients or products or anything like that. Parting words on time into my listening audience, mostly women of autoimmune issues. Well, I, I think everyone can benefit from a little extra thyming. Um, and I think that if you have a longstanding autoimmune issue, I would start looking into thymine deficiencies as being part of the cause behind that. Because again, the immune system needs energy too. <laughs> and so how the immune system reacts to the environment is relative to how much energy. Does it have enough energy to initiate the appropriate amount of inflammation? And does it have enough energy to disable that inflammation when the threat is gone? Or is it always in this pro-inflammatory state because it does not have enough energy to stop things? So if you're an older woman, uh, you've lived a life, you've faced many stressors, many illnesses at this point, um, you probably need more thymine than you're getting. And let us say, amen. I love that. No, thank you. And it's a message that is so sorely needed. So thank you so much, Dr. Mars, for being my guest. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And I want to thank all my listeners for listening in yet once again to First Lady of Nutrition. Have a wonderful, healing, helpful, and thymine-rich week. Shalom uvracha. Please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.